Hello. Hello and welcome to Give Me the Creeps. We are back this week with Daniela's part one. And I guess I can let you um, tell us the rest, right? Sure. She hasn't spoken in weeks. She's been a mute for a whole month. So I'm nervous. It's like I'm speaking <laughs> in front of a large crowd today. Oh, may I take your coat for the first time? <laughs> <laughs> At least we can be. I mean, it's this. My series is filled with death and destruction and sadness. Mm. But I feel like we can joke around just a slight bit more than we could with Oh Lord. Your, yeah, there's your, a little uh, Oh God. <laughs> yeah, that's true. There's a little more leeway in this uh series that we have going this month. Yes. Okay, so it was really hard to figure out how I was gonna do this, but my series is the Mexican drug cartels. Ooh, like history and stuff. Yes. Um, Shit. So I was going to – I didn't want it to do – I mean, I <laughs> I didn't want to do it to where it was going to be, like, boring. So mm-hmm. I originally was going to start with one, like, massacre, I guess. But um, I ended up changing it completely. So now we're just going to do one section or one, I guess uh, – cartel group yeah i was gonna say what do you call that like a branch off of yes because it's it starts with a family or something right it starts with one man okay well here we go let me Uh (laughs) yes see already i'm interested okay so here we go the birth of most mexican drug cartels is traced to former mexican judicial federal police agent miguel angel felix gallardo oh my god no (laughs) I fucking hate – I can't Stop. ever roll my R's and D's together. Gallardo. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's about as close as it's going to get. I'm so sorry if that's your last name. <laughs> Anyways, uh, A.K. El Padrino, mm-hmm. uh, who founded the Guadalajara Cartel in 1980 and controlled most of the illegal drug trade in Mexico and the trafficking corridors across the Mexico-U.S. border – along with Juan Garcia Obrego throughout the 1980s. He started off by smuggling marijuana and opium into the U.S. and was the first Mexican drug chief to link up with Colombia's cocaine cartels in the 1980s. Through his connections, Felix Gallardo became the person at the forefront of the Medellin cartel, which was run by Pablo Escobar. Mm-hmm. So this was easily accomplished because Felix had already established a marijuana trafficking infrastructure that stood ready to serve the Colombia-based uh, cocaine traffickers. And there were no other cartels at this time in Mexico. He oversaw all operations. It was just him, his cronies, and the politicians who sold him protection. Mm-hmm. However, the Guadalajara cartel suffered a major blow in 1985 when the group's co-founder, Rafael Caro Quintero, was captured and later convicted for murder of DEA DEA agent Enrique, I don't, I'm guessing it's geeky. Hmm. I'm used to someone's, I'm used to Enrique uh, nicknames being like geeky or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's Kiki Camarena. 
Felix afterwards kept a low pri- profile, and in 1987, he moved with his family into Guadalajara. But on April 8, 1989, he was arrested. He then decided to divide up the trade he controlled as it would be more efficient and less likely to be brought down in one law enforcement swoop. In a way, he was privatizing the Mexican drug business while sending it back underground to be run by bosses who were less well-known or not yet known by the DEA. Felix Mm -hmm. sent his lawyer to convene the nation's top drug traffickers at a house in Acapulco where he designated the plazas or territories. So here's where everybody branches off. The Tijuana route would go to his nephews, the Ariano Felix brothers. Uh, The Juarez route would go to the Carrillo Fuentes family. Miguel Caro Quintero would run the Sonora Corridor. Meanwhile, Joaquin Guzman Loera. I really like that name, Loera, that last name. Mm -hmm. It sounds pretty. He's better known as El Chapo. And Ismael El Mayo Zambada Garcia would take over Pacific Coast operations, becoming the Sinaloa cartel. Guzman and Zambada brought veteran Hector Luis El Huero Palma Salazar back into the fold. The control of the Matamoros Tamalupas corridor, then becoming the Gulf cartel, would be left undisturbed to its founder, Juan Garcia Abrego, who was not a party to the 1989 pact. So, so Felix still planned to oversee national operations as he maintained important connections, but he would no longer control all details of the business. When he was transferred to a high-security prison in 1993, he lost any remaining control over the other drug lords. It sucks. Imagine, I know you go to jail and... Or you, you go to prison and you expect them to have your back when you're coming out, whatever. Yep, and they straight up were like, fuck all of that. They just took it and left, like, fine. Yeah, I'm out. surprised that he really thought they weren't going to do that to him. That's wild. That's what's the scariest thing, I think, about these kinds of things. Like, you have to make people fear you and respect you, but then will they have your back when you go down? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Crazy. So that was the little history on how they all got separated and started and everything. Mm-hmm. So today I'm going to focus on the Juarez cartel. Mm-hmm. So it's based in Ciudad Juarez, Chihuahua, across the Mexico-U.S. border from El Paso, Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cartel is one of several drug trafficking organizations that have been known to decapitate their rivals, mutilate their corpses, and dump them in public places to instill fear not only into the general public, but also into local law enforcement and their rivals, the Sinaloa cartel. Its last known leader was Juan Pablo Ledesma, and the Juarez cartel has an armed wing known as La Linea, and it's a Juarez street gang street gang that usually performs executions. It also uses the Barrio Azteca gang to attack its enemies. But La Línea is, like, more um, – mm-hmm. so we're going to go off again on to um, talk about La Línea. Okay. So it's an enforcer unit, of course, for the cartel, originally set up by a number of former and active-duty policemen. Mm-hmm. 
heavily armed and extensively trained in urban warfare. Uh, their corrupt line of policemen were set up to protect drug traffickers. I guess that's why they're called La Linea. Mm-hmm. But after forming an alliance with Barrio Azteca to fight out the forces of the Sinaloa cartel in 2008, they established a foothold in Juarez as the enforcement wing of the Juarez cartel. La Linea has also been involved in extortions and kidnappings. At the service of the Juarez cartel, La Linea has been instrumental in helping Vicente Carrillo Fuentes' organization hold influence in Juarez, one of the most important crossings and drug corridors in the U.S.-Mexico border, and home to a growing retail drug market. The DEA estimates that about 70% of the cocaine that enters the United States flows through the El Paso-Juarez border. Damn. It's pretty fucking crazy. I used to do mm-hmm. a bunch of cocaine back in the day. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure in? it came through there. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Actually, no, it didn't. It came from further fucking east. <laughs> it had to have come through Acuna. I'm assuming it was the easiest way. Imagine if it had a tracking number on it that you could see where it coming from. <laughs> The that batch would be number. something. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's funny. That <laughs> <laughs> was a very long time ago. Don't do drugs, kids. Right. Unless you want to have fun, but <laughs> just oh take lord, that shit out. I know, right? Make <laughs> <laughs> that shit out. That's why my voice sounds the way that it does. I'm just joking. Oh, I was going to say, wait, how? I'm sure Let this be not. a lesson to you all. <laughs> I'm sure it did not help the situation at all, but um, I'm, I, I'm like 80% sure that it's from smoking, but mm. I fucked up my vocal cords. Damn. Well, I mean, if you think about it, your nasal cavity connects it to your esophagus, so you – I mean, technically, it's the same route. Yeah. In a way. Um, for sure. Uh, that's why I also fucking laugh like a hyena now, cause that's the only way it comes out now. That's the only way it comes out. I literally like close my throat when I laugh, <laughs> and that's why it comes out that way. I don't. Fucking when the, know. when the babies were playing on your Snapchat and you were trying not to laugh, <laughs> she's feisty. That little one. <laughs> She is. She's so mean to her older sister. She's dude. like, I'll be taking this. Thank you. <laughs> Every time they both. And they're so funny. Like, they'll play together. And then they, like, uh-huh. wander off and, like, play by themselves. And then they'll oh. come back together, like, over. In a brand new mood or something. Yeah, but, like, they'll come back together over <laughs> one thing. Oh. And they both notice it at the same time. And then that's how that Damn. happened in my sleep. <laughs> yep. But then karma came back around, you see. Doesn't matter what age you are. Yep. <laughs> God said, You want this chair so bad? All right, let's see it. And we I couldn't I was like, don't bring I of course I the know. Mexican in me was like, don't bring attention. Don't bring her. You went <laughs> I started laughing. That was great. You can't help it sometimes. Just gasp. For no reason sometimes. Dude, for real. <laughs> My mom is like notorious for that shit though. So she oh, couldn't God. even help it. I'm pretty sure she got oh, 
I gasped in the car the other day, and Hunter's like, don't do that. You scared me. <laughs> <laughs> I used to not do it that often, but I feel like I'm slowly evolving into the uh, stereotypical Mexican yes. old lady. It's an exclamation, okay? Dude, for real. <laughs> I gasp for fucking everything. Same. Good, bad, scary. Yes. Fun. Yes. Whatever. Anyway. <clears throat> Don't do coke. We get it. Okay. <laughs> who was it? Oh, it was who used to huff. She would tell me about huffing stuff, and I'm like, what the fuck? Dude. No. <laughs> I'd be like, I want to try that. She's like, but you have to be careful, because like, if you do it, and I was like, fuck that. Never mind. Yeah, dude. It fucking eats away Damn. your brain. Oh, shit. I knew a group of morons, my ex-boyfriend being in that group. <laughs> oh, no. Would fucking, they would huff fucking air duster. And it would make their voices super deep. So they thought it was hilarious. Oh, God. So they, yeah, it was a really, it was really bad. Hey, what else are you going to do before the internet, you know? It was literally right at the cusp <laughs> of the internet being <laughs> videos on MySpace. Like, y'all check this out. Fucking idiots, I swear. <laughs> anyway. Oh, yeah, anyways, <clears throat> we're back to real drugs. Oh, Lord, I know, right? Um, okay, so La Linea is linked to some of Juarez's. How the fuck would I say that? Hmm, it's already right, Juarez's. Yeah. What is this? Uh, I don't know. What is... hmm. That scared me. Um, I debated <laughs> on saying Juarez that way the whole time, but like it takes me a long time to enunciate it, so I just was afraid. Right. Okay. Okay, so they're linked to some of Juarez's and the state's most notorious massacres. Their former gang leader named El Diego was guilty of carrying out more than 1,500 killings from 2008 to 2011. Mm. Okay, so here we're going to get into the massacres. I think there's four, three, I don't remember. but Okay, so... <clears throat> The first three happened all in 2010. Mm. So on August 31st, 2010, gunmen burst into a party in a small working class neighborhood known as Villas de Salvacar in Juarez, killing 16 teenagers. Mm. Witnesses said that the cartel members arrived at the crime scene in seven cars with tinted windows closed down the street, and blocked the exits. Then they stormed the party and opened fire at the victims as they were watching a soccer game. Some of the teenagers were shot as they tried to flee and their corpses were found in the neighboring houses. As neighbors hid in their houses, some dialed the emergency services, but the Mexican military and the federal police did not arrive until after the killers had left. Mm-hmm. When the Mexican authorities arrived, a large group gathered at the crime scene as the neighbors and family members of the victims, whose ages ranged from 15 to 20, cried and set down candles. Mm-hmm. They pleaded for their names not to be released for the fear of the hitmen returning and taking revenge. The relatives and witnesses interviewed after the massacre insisted that the teenagers had nothing to do with the drug trade and were good kids wow what was troubling for the authorities was that the victims were not gathered inside a bar or at a rehab center but rather at a private home and i thought it was really weird about the rehab center i was like what the fuck why would but Mm. later uh, it is explained why they said rehab center 
So they gave no official statement for the motives behind the killing, but the massacre bore all the signs of the drug violence that Juarez was living for the past three years. Videos from the crime scene depict a sparsely furnished home with large puddles of blood and tainted smears on the walls. In addition, more than 100 AK-47 bullet casings were found at the scene. Mm -hmm. So the Mexican authorities issued a a reward Mm -hmm. of 100 million, no, 1 million pesos. How much is that in regular US or in US dollars? Hmm. I have no idea. That's a good question. Let me see. My dad was telling me whenever he went to Mexico to visit his wife. Oh, she lives in. That's actually what made me think of doing this. But she Hmm. lives in um, Morelia, which is like three hours away from Mexico City. Uh And it's like the 27th city in the entire world for uh, the most dangerous. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So my dad fucking flew down there. Oh, God. And uh, he said that it was really pretty and blah, blah, blah. But there's, like, parts of the city where his wife was like, we should not. We we can't go to Don't these go places. through there. I was oh, like, what gosh. the fuck are you doing down there? Get out of there. I can't imagine. I know, right? When my grandpa would go visit his wife in Mexico as well, it was like, what are you doing? That is really fucking scary. And mm-hmm. I don't. I went to fucking Mexico all the goddamn time when I was growing up. And as a teenager, I went by myself or, well, with my friends. Mm-hmm. And we would literally be there from, like, I think, I guess we would start our night, like, at 10. Mm-hmm. And we wouldn't leave until 4, 5 in the morning. And it was, like... You paid $10 to get into this club, and it was um, open bar literally until 4 in the morning. So we were there all fucking night long. And we would get fucked up, like unbelievably fucked up. And I have no idea how none of us got kidnapped or anything. Right. Um, But they would always tell us that if – because uh, in Acuna, it was uh, the Setas that were the gang at the time mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. And uh, they said that if anybody came in, like a high-ranking person from that gang would come in and they picked you, like as a girl, or um, to like sit with them or like be with them through the night. Like you had to do it. Yeah. And if your significant other, whoever the fuck you came with, like tried to protest, they would like kick their ass. Oh, God, that sounds like a nightmare. Yeah. So I would always joke, like, well, I don't fucking have anything to worry about. Be like, I don't mind hanging out if they provide the party favors. Well, I didn't even fucking think of that. I was just like, I'm not pretty enough for that shit. So I'm just going to go on my own. OMG. Oh, my God. You're like, I'm safe. I really, that's what I would say. And I was. I didn't ever get picked. (laughs) Oh, shit. You would, you, so you've seen people get picked. Yeah, it was fucking terrifying. And like, Mm. I don't know. There was like fucked up shit that would happen or whatever, but it wasn't it did wasn't enough to like scare us to not go. And like right. even the cops there, like if you were fucked up and they wanted to take you to jail, like they would take you to jail, but you could also pay your way to not go to jail. One of our right. friends got into a fucking fight and they were gonna take him to jail, and we literally all gathered our money that we had left. And we paid for him, not, for them not to take him to jail. 
Dang. And they were just like, it's the money. Yeah, they literally didn't. It was like, like, we're just going to pretend like this never happened. Yes. That's literally like a movie. That sounds unreal to me. Yeah, that's exactly how it was. The whole situation. Scary. Mm hmm. Because imagine what else they could pay to look the other way, like a sexual assault or yeah. a kidnapping or anything. Like, yeah. Just act like you can't see what's going on and we're going to give you $300 right now or whatever. That's literally what what happened. It was, oh, it was some sketchy ass shit, but. Well, thank goodness you guys are okay. Yeah. And we all went. Amazed <laughs> that we survived. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that amaze me about my fucking teenage years that I have no idea how I'm still alive. <laughs> Luck. Yeah, for real. That was Mexico was one of them. How I didn't die from just fucking alcohol poisoning by itself is amazing too. Oh lord. <laughs> what was your drink of choice? Well, cuz at open bar you can only have like certain drinks. And mm-hmm. I would always go with one of my best friends at the time uh or he was whatever we were whatever that was um (laughs) we lived together too so it was whatever that was but uh he just would get me the drinks all the time so it ended up becoming uh amaretto sour ah and now i can't even smell it or i will fucking barf everywhere oh my god just thinking about it you would get that trash you'd be nauseous dude You don't understand how many times I went into that bathroom and would throw up black. Tar? For real. It was black. How scary. And usually everybody would, like, that's like a sign of, like, internal bleeding. Oh, shit. Like, in your stomach. And I would just continue on my night. We're good. We're good. Let's go. My friends would drag me back out. And I would smoke a cigarette as we're walking to the car or, well, as I'm fucking being carried to the car. Mm-hmm. And then that would be the end of the night. But, yeah, I would get fucking smashed. Like, just, it was terrible. Wild. Dang. But anyways, um, so the million pesos is $50,000. Mm. Okay. In U.S. dollars. Hmm. So there's that. But, um, okay. So they issued a reward of 1 million pesos to anyone who could provide information that led to the arrest of the killers. Mm-hmm. Uh, four days after the massacre, a suspect identified as Jose Dolores Arroyo Chavaria. Why do they have so many names? It makes them look tougher. I don't know. <laughs> Literally everybody has like at least four names. They, because they kill you while you're still saying their name. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it's blah blah blah. I can't finish it. Wait, oh my god, <laughs> that's fucked up, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Jose Dolores Arroyo Chavaria was arrested mm-hmm. by the Mexican military. He confessed to the authorities that the Juarez cartel had received reports from within the organization that members of a rival drug trafficking organization were at the party the night the teenagers were killed. The suspect said he acted as a lookout for the 24 gunmen that perpetrated the killing and had ordered to kill everyone inside. That's fucked. By mid-2011, four men linked to the massacre were found guilty of the killings and were sentenced to 240 years each by the state of Chihuahua. It's fucking 
Nuts. In 2012, it was later confirmed by the Mexican authorities that the massacre was ordered by Jose Antonio Acosta Hernandez, who was El Diego. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Mm. A gang leader of the Barrio Azteca also admitted to having ordered the massacre because he thought rival gang members were there. So how the fuck does that work? Right. Despite the arrest, many of the family members were unhappy with the efforts of the Mexican government and said that they were planning to abandon Mexico and seek safe haven in Texas to protect their children. Mm. I never even gave the United States much thought, said one of the family members, but Mexico has abandoned us and betrayed us. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. So that was one. Now here's another. On June 10th, 2010, Dozens of armed men with AR-15 and AR-15s and AK-47 rifles arrived in six vehicles at the Life and Faith facility, a church-run rehabilitation clinic in Chihuahua City, at around 11 p.m. The gunmen, outfitted with protective gear and ski masks, first claimed to be policemen and herded the patients outside the clinic. Once they had lined up, 23 of them. Once they had lined up 23 of them outside execution style, the gunmen opened fire at them, killing 19 and wounding four. Oh my God, that's terrifying. So terrifying. Uh, The Mexican authorities found more than 200 bullet casings from different kinds of firearms at the scene. According to the pastor, some of the men in the facility were former gang members of Los Mexicles who fight along with artistas asesinos and the Sinaloa cartel for the control of the smuggling routes in the state. Most of the victims ages ranged from ranged from 23 to 65 uh, and included a blind man and a 16 year old. That's so sad. Yeah, that is very sad. I picture like 65, like old man, like a grandpa. Uh. So according to the investigations, the perpetrators left behind four written cardboards, but the authorities did not release the content of the messages. The three-story facility housed addicts for 90 days, although some of the victims had more than a year or two in rehabilitation. Jesus. By June 2011, a leader of La Linea admitted planning and coordinating the attack against the drug facility. The Mexican authorities stated that the drug trafficking organizations use rehabilitation clinics to recruit foot soldiers and smugglers and often kill those who do not cooperate. So that's why earlier they had said rehab center. Oh, shit. Yeah. Um, Others are killed for failing to pay for their drugs or for ripping off a dealer. In addition, the cartels frequently target unlicensed rehabilitation centers since they are likely to accept active drug members seeking to free themselves from an addiction. Unlike the government-licensed clinics, the private centers are not associated with the penal system and have limited security measures, leaving the victims vulnerable to attacks by gangs seeking revenge or the elimination of a potential police informant. In Juarez alone, there are around 100,000 drug addicts and many of the rehab clinics are unlicensed and ran by former addicts, making them easy points oh. for the cartels to infiltrate. Man, that's messed up. It is. It gets fucking worse. Some oh. cartel members even check themselves in the facility and pose as addicts. Once they gain 
information of how the facility works, they they co-op the workers or threaten to kill them. Some of the addicts sell candy and gum at the city's shop at the city's stoplights. Uh, okay, some addicts sell candy and gum at the city's stoplights to raise money for these for those struggling in their rehab center. But the cartels have taken this opportunity to force them to sell drugs too. Damn, that's fucking crazy. They're selling chiclets out there. Chiclets. Yeah, I remember those. It's usually, a lady though. One night, oh my god, that just reminded me. One night, I got, I was really fucking trashed, and we wa- we left. Uh, there was this bar called El Portal, and that's where we were always at. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, we, like down the street a little bit is the Corona Club, and across the street from the Corona Club was a fucking hot dog vendor. And dude, I have never had a hot dog that has tasted like that ever again. Like, no, that's the only <laughs> time. And I was also trash, so maybe I'm just fucking being dramatic. But on the way over there, there was a lady who and her son that were selling uh, chicles, and I uh-huh. bought the whole fucking box. Hell yeah. And I literally was just walking around <laughs> handing people the fucking chiclet, just, just giving it to them. How nice. What a nice lady. Felt like a fucking fairy godmother. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it was it was nice. Um, but I was also really trashed. I think I oh, I, I think I like way overpaid too. I mean, obviously, because they sell them for like, I don't know. I don't remember yeah, how much it was. Inflated prices. But I'm pretty sure I gave her like fifty dollars. Nice. But yeah, and then I got my fucking hot dog and I was happy. Oh, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> you gave back to the community that you partied at. <laughs> oh shit! I did that shit. I did dumb shit like that all the time. Like not necessarily dumb shit, but or not necessarily that was something dumb. But like I would just fucking Random. throw my money around like I was a fucking queen. <laughs> oh hell yeah! It was fucking stupid. I bought a pack of fucking, I bought a pack of cigarettes before we got over to Mexico because anytime you buy cigarettes in Mexico, they were always stale. Mm-hmm. So I bought a fucking pack of cigarettes in the United States and I took mm-hmm. it over there and we left uh, El Portal to go to another bar called El Antro. Mm-hmm. And I fucking forgot my cigarettes at fucking EP. And I was like, where the fuck are my cigarettes? So like, a lady was fucking selling cigarettes on the goddamn fucking road, and I bought like fucking three packs from her, knowing they were gonna be bad. Knowing they were gonna freaking be bad, and yeah. I fucking I was so pissed. And we went back to fucking EP. I was like, maybe they're still in the chair. Nope, I'm sure whoever the fuck found oh, them. Oh yeah, it was two they seconds saw. after I got up. Oh yeah, they were like, yes, score. Yeah. So then, and then they sold that, them. They sold them by the single dude for real. And after that, <laughs> I was just fucking giving away cigarettes too because I was like, "This is fucking gross." <laughs> oh lord, that <sighs> was terrible. Um, I haven't thought of these memories in a really long time. Even writing this, I didn't think of any of that shit. <laughs> it's opening up a whole new jar that I've known about you. Oh yeah, for sure. I was a different person. I was literally like seventeen, eighteen. You were a badass bitch. I was. I thought I was. You said, can nobody touch me? I wish that I knew (laughs) how to do my makeup then the way I do now. Ooh, you would have found yourself a little husband down there. 
<laughs> oh, a rich one with a ranch. I do want to tell a story. <laughs> Ew, yeah, that's fucking part of the fucking cartel and shit. Oh God, I know, right? Um, there was these two guys from Louisiana that were vacationing in Acuna, like they were staying in a little hotel there or whatever. Well, they were partying at Elantro. They were brothers and they had a fucking camcorder with them. And they were partying with us and everybody was like talking along and shit. And then of course we all get fucked up. And um, I, somewhere in Louisiana in someone's motherfucking storage unit, I'm sure, is a video of me sitting on one of the brothers and we're fucking making out on this couch. Like literally we were Iconic. like almost like get, we were just getting real hot and heavy and they like wanted me to go back to their room. Whoa. And for some fucking reason I didn't, I don't know if my friends were like, fuck that you're not going. Or I, I mm-hmm. myself was like, no. Dang. Two brothers. Yeah, dude. It was really, I was, were they white? Yeah, they were white. Dang. Yeah. They said when in Mexico. No, yeah, for real. And of course, I was like, I have to do my duty and help them out. Right. Wow, that's wild. Yeah, and they fucking recorded Good that. Good memories. Shit. And of I remember the lights came on. Like, we stayed that fucking late. And the lights Dang. came on. And I turned around. And I got off of him. And I turned around. And one of the dudes that worked at the bar was sitting. There was like a little table in front of us. He was sitting on that table, like, staring at us. And that scared the fuck out of me. I think maybe that's why I was like, I'm going home. That was a free show. I guess. But it freaked me out. He was looking. It looked like that was, like, a predator watching his prey. That's what he looked like. Ew, creepy. He was like, if that guy doesn't take her home, I'm taking her home. Yeah, I was like, uh. And then my friends fucking found me again. And I was like, okay, I'm not leaving anyone's side. Nice, good job. Oh my god. Yeah, that's very scary. Um but it was fun at the same time. I also I know what you mean. The little risk of the thrill of the risk. Yeah, dude. And I think about it now, like my anxiety is fucking terrible right like now. <sighs> and I have no idea where that anxiety, like all the shit that I should have been anxious about then, I feel like is coming back to me now. Like, You're like, how could I have done such a thing? Dude, for real. I don't know how I – I literally thought I was invincible. Like, I didn't – just think, what happens when you're young. It, yeah, and I'm I'm so glad that I wasn't fucking proven wrong. <laughs> oh, Lord. And now you were in the – you weren't at the wrong place at the right, yeah. the right time, whatever Yeah. You say. Mm. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Creepy. Okay. Um – okay so the drug cartels have also created and managed pseudo clinics and once their patients are off drugs they give them two choices to work as a drug trafficker or get killed jesus christ what the fuck that sucks the cartels usually dispose of their young addicts by killing them since the criminal organization quickly recruits young men and prefers to minimize their risk by eliminating the others what the fuck was the point then? I know, right? Stupid. Okay, so here's another one. On June 16, 2010, a car bomb attack was registered in the border city of Juarez uh, when members of La Línea triggered 
22 pounds of C4 explosives with a cell phone, <sighs> marking it as the first successful car bomb attack ever registered in the Mexican drug war. Mm. Before the detonation, the cartel members had dumped an injured man dressed in police uniform on the sidewalk to lure the Mexican authorities and paramedics closer to the vehicle. Oh, my God. The authorities were notified by an emergency call that a man was allegedly executed, a lure tactic to bring them to where the bomb was planted. As a policeman wow. and a paramedic rushed to the scene, the bomb detonated, killing them instantly. That's evil. The injured man, who was not a police officer, and an innocent civilian were also killed. Oh. Mm. A cameraman who was near the scene was gravely injured but managed to film the explosion aftermath. Ooh. Oh, my God. The attack sent shockwaves across Mexico and raised concerns in the United States and represented what the authorities considered a new dimension of terror and a clear escalation in the weapons and tactics deployed by Mexico's drug trafficking organizations. Mm-hmm. TV images aired on national television showed a vehicle with only one intact wheel and two federal police on fire in the city's downtown area. Uh. U.S. authorities responded to the attack with worrisome and noted that it was reminiscent to Colombia in the 1980s and to the terrorism and warfare tactics the United States military is running into in Iraq and Afghanistan. Right. I was going to say that looks like that to them. Mm -hmm. Probably. And it affected the Mexican peso after the attacks, too, and econ- economic E. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it always the simplest words? <laughs> Economists. <laughs> oh, Lord. Economists warned that more car bombs could hurt Mexico's financial market and scare off investors. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, even with multiple multiple car bombs, the Mexican drug cartels have not shifted their focus to targeting civilians rather than security forces, and thus the narco-terrorism label is unclear. Huh. A message left at the scene claimed that La Línea was responsible for the blast and threatened further attacks. We still have car bombs, and this will continue to happen to authorities that carry on supporting El Chapo. FBI and DEA go and investigate authorities that are giving support to the Sinaloa cartel. Mm. Okay, so originally I was going to do this next story as the whole thing. Like, this is the one that I was going to do the whole episode on. So Mm -hmm. there's going to be just a little bit more detail than these other ones that I was just talking about. Okay. And this one is extremely fucking sad. The other ones were sad. This is like even sadder. This is tough. So in the early morning of November 4th, 2019, along a rumor. (laughs) (laughs) If you don't get it together, you got your Spanish and your English over here. Dude, it's my ADHD. I'm trying to speak. (laughs) I feel like a fucking disgrace right now because Spanish was literally my first language. How the fuck am I... (laughs) doing this you don't exercise the language maybe the tongue i don't practice no me neither no and i also feel like my mouth just doesn't cooperate with me but same Mm -hmm. okay so along a remote 
I was trying to say remote and dirt at the same time, like together. You're just yeah, your brain's just moving quick. Yeah. So remote. <laughs> Soon the language will just be that that quick. We were talking about that abbreviations, how everything is just changing the way we talk and stuff. I don't know. Yeah, Whatever. I hate it. It's faster and faster every time. Yeah, nobody says suspicious anymore, and they say it's sus. I fucking hate that shit. LOL. I hate it so much. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so along a remote dirt road that links the northern Mexican state of Chihuahua and Sonora traveled three women and 14 of their children in a convoy of three vehicles. Is this ringing any bells? Yes, I think. Oh, God. Simultaneously, dozens of men armed with assault rifles positioned themselves for an ambush along the very same dirt path. The women, Ronita Miller, known to her family as Nita, and two other women, Christina Langford and Donna Ray Langford, set out in the convoy on a six-hour drive. They were headed to Colonia LeBaron, a Mormon settlement and home to many friends and family. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, that was where the tie-in was going to come. You talked about a Mormon family last right. night, and now here's one. Oh, gee, in, in Mexico. Yes. Ugh. Yeah, it was really interesting reading about that. Bless you. So, because, thank you. So, because, is it a polygamy thing, or they just wanted to be able to have a commune without the U.S. being like, what the fuck are y'all doing out there? I think it's both. Because in Mexico, I know that there are some Mormon families yes. out in Mexico for that reason. Okay. I talk about it a little bit later, um, but I didn't. Okay. I had originally gone off on this whole thing about it, but I was like, okay, that's a lot. And it's going off. Watch topic. Susan Powell be down there chilling. Stop it. <laughs> okay, sorry. Go ahead. Donna was going to a wedding in LeBaron while uh, Nita was heading to meet her husband. And Christina was visiting her in-laws ahead of a move back to the United States. And she and her six children were to be reunited with her, hus- with her husband, Tyler, who worked in the oil industry in North Dakota. So they're driving along in their three separate vehicles. After getting a flat tire, one of the vehicles falls behind the other two. The driver of that vehicle was Nita. So Christina Langford is in the front now with her seven-month-old daughter, Faith. So Nita's, like, way behind them. She's, like, ten miles behind them. And Mm -hmm. um, suddenly gunfire starts coming out of nowhere at Christina's vehicle, and she gets hit in the hip. And so then she exits the vehicle with her hands up to signal that she wasn't a threat as the gunman continued firing, shooting her in the chest and killing her. She was shot 15 yards away from her vehicle. Her baby girl, Faith, was strapped to to the safety seat in the back, and bullets had struck her car seat, but she was not hit. And she was found after spending 10 hours alone and was extremely dehydrated, soaked in urine, and in shock. Oh, no. It was so sad. Poor thing. So the car behind Christina's carried Donna, who had nine children in her car, And Donna and two of her sons, Trevor, who was 11, and Rogan, who was two, were shot and killed. And the driver's side door was found open with Donna's leg sticking out as if she was trying to get out as that shit was happening. Oh, no. Mm -mm. And so then 10 miles behind the front two was Nita. And the lone vehicle was found with bullet, like, 
covered in bullet holes and completely ablaze. Mm -hmm. Along with four of her children, eight-month-old twins, Titus and Tiana, Crystal, who was 10, and Howard, who was 12, were dead and burned. Oh, my God. The three survivors of her family were left at home. So eight kids ended up surviving in total. All... Uh, and all of them, except for Faith, uh, escaped the vehicles and hid in bushes. And so one of the survivors, 13-year-old Devin Langford, walked 14 miles back home to get help. And it wow. took him six hours to get there. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. After becoming concerned that he hadn't returned close to nightfall, nine-year-old Mackenzie Langford, who I think that was her brother, uh-huh. uh, set out to look for him, also walking for six hours. Wow. Of the eight children that survived, five were wounded from gunfire and three were physically unharmed. So oh all of the victims were from this place called uh, Rancho La Mora in Sonora. And it contained 30 to, or it contains uh, 30 to 40 homes on about a thousand acres and with a full-time population of about 150 people. Among the hundreds of dual national and bilingual residents within the sibling communities of Rancho La Mora and Colonia La Baron, and other, there's other small settlements too, uh, they are independent fundamentalist Mormons, mm-hmm. and they're members of the Church of the Firstborn, which started in like the 80s, I think. Maybe before that. And there's also Mormons of, or uh, members of the mainstream Latter-day Saints, too. So when Nita got the flat, she was like two or three miles away from Lamora. And some of the family heard an explosion. And when they went to investigate, they saw several armed men with automatic weapons. So they left because they were like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. And so another family member sent up a drone to check the area. And once they could see that it was clear, they approached the scene. And that was when we realized it was uh, Nita and her children in the suburban and they hadn't gotten out. Family member Kenny Miller said. Mm-hmm. And there is a video that I saw of Nita's father-in-law that he made when he found, when they found the vehicle. And it was so fucking sad. Like the un edited version or like the one that isn't censored you can see like pieces you can see like mm-hmm. smoldering pieces in the seats like it's mm-hmm. fucking terrible but oh. everybody was burnt to ash and bone oh um God. and they found them first like the explosion happened whatever and then they found them well they didn't know that, that further up christina mm-hmm. yeah christina and donna were also dead up further and the kids were all up there too they had originally thought that they were missing, like that they had been kidnapped. Mm-hmm. And then when they found, I think the oldest boy ended up reaching home and he was the one that was like, we're still alive. Everyone's still alive over there or like whoever was yeah. alive over there. So at around 8 p.m., the surviving children were discovered, except for the two that had walked away or well, except for that one that had walked away. They found McKenzie at 945. Relatives stated that the girl had taken the wrong road and was tracked by her footprints. When she was found, she told them, we have to go back. We have to go back. My siblings, my brothers and sisters are dying. They're bleeding. They're shot. We have to go rescue them. 
Oh man. I'm so sad. Had been hours by then. Mm-hmm. So sad. Um, in the immediate aftermath of the killings, Mexican officials announced that an organized crime group called Los Jaguares was responsible. The theory was that the leaders group Arvizu, who is El Jaguar uh, Marquez had ordered the hit after mistaking the Mormon caravan for that of another gang. The press um, ran with that story and it seemed that the case was solved. And Los Jaguares is a splinter cell of the Sinaloa cartel. And so, yeah. But then the official version changed. DailyBeast.com says, Instead, another band was blamed, although the cartel confusion narrative carried over. This time, the massacre was attributed to a dust-up between La Línea and a rival faction of the Sinaloa cartel called Los Salazar. There's like a billion little splinters. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so there had been a turf battle between the two groups in a town in the town of Agua Preta, Prieta. <laughs> on the U.S. border the same day that the LeBaron family was assaulted. While retreating from Agua Prieta, Prieta, fuck, I have to like really enunciate. Mm-hmm. La Línea allegedly set up sentinels to intercept any pursuers. And then the LeBaron co- convoy blundered into the trap traveling in SUVs, the preferred method of transport, transport for sicarios. Or hitmen mm. as well. Mm-hmm. So the official version of the story, as told by Mexican authorities, is that it was an accident involving rival drug gangs, yet the LeBarons claimed that they had been under threat from criminal bands in the area, and they have no doubt that they were targeted deliberately. Several of the victims reportedly were shot at point-blank range, and also the family had been engaged in a long-running land dispute with local farmers over water rights. Both sides appear to have acted violently, including an incident in 2018 in which the farmers stormed one of the LeBaron ranches and the LeBarons opened fire on them. Wow. And the conflict reportedly has continued since then. Um, However, there are glaring discrepancies in the official reports. Mexico's Secretary of Security, Alfonso Durazo believes that the women set out at around 9.40 a.m. and came under attack at 1 p.m. But a special commission ordered by Mexican President Lopez Obrador tells a different story. Those investigators claim that there was an initial attack on one vehicle at 9.40 near the remote village of Bavispe and that the second assault against the other two SUVs came at about 11 that same morning. And happened on the same rural highway, but 11 miles away from the scene of the first attack. So Nita's car was hit first and then the other two. Mm -hmm. So what makes the incident highly suspect is that the one and a half hour time gap between the first incident and the second one. And the fact that it would be relatively easy to ID the unarmed female drivers as well as the small children in the vehicles as not being representative of cartel tactical unit profiles. Robert Piper, a specialist in international security and illicit economies at the University of Southern California, told the Daily Beast in an email. Bunker suggested that the way the murders were carried out indicates the cartel hit teams, if that's who was responsible, 
were marginally trained and disciplined and or even high on narcotics. Oh. Such tactical units could belong to a newly fragmented cartel group who were scraping the bottom of the barrel to put gunmen into the field. Bunker's description of a poorly trained ragtag bunch doesn't meet the description of La Linea, however. Furthermore, some of the children who escaped reported that at least one of the adult women had exited the vehicle to inform their attackers that they were traveling with children, only to be shot point blank. So the conclusion we've reached is that it was something premeditated against the community. Agent LeBaron told a local news outlet they knew that they were killing women and children. Wow. So in a separate interview, LeBaron also said that the family had been receiving threats from armed groups in the area and other members of the family have been kidnapped and killed by the cartels, which is a whole other crazy ass story on its own. Like, I was going to add it in here, but it was it's a bunch of stuff. Right. But um, yeah, from I think it was from the Colonia LeBaron settlement that all of that other crazy shit happened. Though mm. so some 200 shell casings from AR-15 type assault rifles were found at the scene of the ambush and one of the vehicles had been burned, also possibly indicating an inter- intentional encounter meant to send a message. <laughs> a source... <laughs> Within one of the local cartels who agreed to speak. Okay, and this next part is so... I added it in there because it was just so fucking funny how they were just assuming this shit. But, um, so yeah, a source was one of the local cartels who agreed to speak with the Daily Beast only under the condition of anonymity said that whoever was responsible for the attacks of the Liber- against the LeBarons was being hunted by Sinaloa cartel leader and former Chapo Lieutenant Mayo Zambala. Mayo remains the most powerful capo in the Sonora Chihuahua corridor, and he was supposedly deeply upset over the massacre after having given orders not to rock the boat after one of Chapo's sons was arrested and then rescued by cartel forces in October of 2019, the source says. If Sinaloa finds out who did this, they'll kill them immediately. Maya was fucking pissed. After the whole thing with Chapo's son, he wanted to lay low, and now they shoot up a bunch of blonde-headed children and put it all over the news. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't the fucking... Why would he be mad if he didn't do it, if his cartel didn't do it? You know what I mean? Right, right. Um, the source also said that the nature of the attack would seem to indicate a desire for vengeance or perhaps to drive the LeBaron family out of the area once and for all. Kids, little babies, this is more along the lines of retaliation, the source said. Mm -hmm. Mexicans don't kill a bunch of white kids for no reason. Mm -hmm. Whoever shot those kids is in for a bad ride, the cartel insider said. They should hope the government catches them before Mayo does. Damn. Mm -hmm. Okay, So, so they're saying the cartel is the good guys. Well... Not really. He's just saying, In other words, like they're just saying like there's no reason for this, so Yeah, basically. Like, look at the right people. Whoever did this just stirred up shit for no reason. Right, right. I guess that could be why he was why he would be pissed. It could have framed it could have been a way to frame the cartel. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, what do you fucking expect? They saw a weakness and they were gonna fucking take it. You know what I mean? If that was really why they right. did it. Just to stir up to shit. establish Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the brutality of the attack and the dual citizenship of the victims meant the incident attracted huge international attention. 
Hours after the news emerged, the FBI sent agents to help the Mexican police investigation. <sighs> President Donald Trump issued thinly veiled warnings to Mexico that cartel violence could lead to military intervention. But that didn't happen. And the investigation itself has proceeded at a glacial pace. Right. So after all of that, in July 2020, the LeBaron and Langford's, Langford families filed a lawsuit against the Juarez drug cartel, a.k.a. La Linea, without naming any individuals. Uh-huh. <laughs> the Mexican wow. government has arrested at least three men and has identified 40 suspects in the massacre. The lawsuit mentioned that a cartel member filmed part of the assault. Recording, what? Yeah, recording gunmen approaching a vehicle. A voice in the vi- in the video says, they're going to finish it off, dude. The lawsuit states, and then the vehicle was burned. Oh, man. Yeah, because at first they thought that all of the gunshots ha- hit the fucking gas tank and it made the car explode, but that's not what happened. That's what I thought, too, yeah. but no, they went and lit them up. That's uh, mm-hmm. horrible. So the civil lawsuit seeks a jury trial and monetary damages on six claims, including assault and emotional distress, and accuses the Juarez drug cartel of terrorism. The Juarez cartel has engaged in decades-long effort uh, to maintain a state of terror and unrest throughout Chihuahua and parts of Sonora. The lawsuit states, The goal of this campaign of terror has been to paralyze, intimidate, and threaten the Mexican government, local police, prosecutors, and the civilian population. The lawsuit noted that the cartel operates an unrestricted drug trade backed by armed forces capable of holding checkpoints on some roads and carrying out attacks, murders, and the burning of homes. The death of the women and children demonstrated La Linea's control of a road between Sonora and Chihuahua and its intolerance of any perceived connection to the Salazar uh, faction, the lawsuit states. The sheer number of killings committed by all of Mexico's criminal cartels demonstrates their ability to act with impunity. Wow. Mm-hmm. 2019. And that is the end of that. Dude, I remember seeing uh, this when someone shared the Facebook post that the family had posted, like, live. Like, it was... Uh, oh, no. What the fuck? It was, like, literally, like, as it was happening, they were posting shit. Shit. Yeah. And I was reading everything. Like, I was, like, keeping up with all that shit, and it was so sad. That's horrible. Mm-hmm. Poor family. And to think, like... She say the first person like got out of the car and everything. It's like, oh my god, there's people behind me coming. Do you think she thought of that? Like as she was being shot, probably. I'm sure a lot of shit was That's so fucked. And that little baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dude, I don't understand. Like apparently, though, these people have like the settlement that they're living on. The Lamora, their dispute with the farmers is like fucked up. Like they were stealing water basically, and like yeah. The land. Uh, wow. Mm-hmm. Well, that was intense. There, th- like you said, there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of different branches off of the cartel and their family members, and it's just it keeps going because you know obviously they have kids, and I'm sure they expect their kids to continue on their family right. business or whatever. It's a fucking um, vicious cycle, dude. It absolutely is, and they are like filthy rich, and it's just terrifying because mm-hmm. they just pay off all the authorities. Yeah, and 
then we expect Mexican people not to want to come somewhere safe, right. you know, the greatest country in the world, like we like to say or whatever. Quote, safe. Yeah, exactly. Which I understand we can't let everyone in, but it's like, wow. Right. The circumstances are just not, it's not like, oh, we're just, we just want to relocate. It's not that we need to relocate. Right. But they do need to, they don't have any, any refuge at all, any secure authorities to trust and all that but anyway mm-hmm. so cool um do you want to give like a sneak peek of what next time has in store or are you going to keep that in under wraps um not a sneak peek but like basically what's on. coming next let me see i wrote it down here it is oh i'm going to well i guess i can say what so i'm gonna try to talk about oh shit i'm gonna do the fucking i'm gonna do wires again fuck an expansion. But you know what's really weird? I was reading too that the Juarez cartel is actually like diminishing in power. Ooh. Like they're not as powerful as the Sinaloa cartel and another one. I don't remember what, what other one. Oh, I think it's like NFC or some bullshit. I don't the new some shit. Yeah. The oh, new Lord. federation, something. Um, but I was gonna do the women of Juarez, the ones that have gone missing. Oh yeah. Oh my god, so sad. Okay. So that's to come. So Juarez is still the the location at the center um, next time. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it's going to be the the women in power within the cartel. Iconic. I was wondering if you were going to go into I that. sure the fuck am. And then mm-hmm. I'm going to probably do the last one just about um, <clears throat> El Chapo and like all the shit that's been going on with his trial and shit. And his escapes and his son's arrest. Interesting. Oh, I know. Oh, God. Okay, cool. We have have a lot in store these coming few weeks with our cartel series, I guess you can call it. Mm -hmm. Wow, that was a lot. Well, that was really useful information because I always wondered where, where did it start and how is it webbing off and who's fighting with who, who's on whose side. And clearly the authorities can pick and choose from within if they're going to take money from the cartel or do their job. But if they do their job, they're going to die. So just an all around lose, lose. It's so sad. I can't wait to hear more. So thank you for that, Daniela. No problem. I wonder if next time you'll still take a trip down memory lane as you remember things from your Mexico partying (laughs) days, Mexico, a beautiful place, a dangerous place. Um, Hopefully a a place that can be preserved for the people, for the the cities and the architecture. Um, Nobody wants to see violence or anything like that, but it is very fascinating to hear about how it all comes, comes about and what it means exactly, which in the end is just power. It's just, it's just Mm -hmm. to show power. Um, very devastating, but all right. Well, we'll be back next time with more information on Juarez and the women that went missing from Juarez. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll catch you next week on Gimme the Creeps. So, did we give you the creeps? <laughs>